Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wabo's most Canadian work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we're back to talk about Void 7.8. Uh, so 7.7 ended with Conquest being bound and... <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you had this reaction, but I remember when I was first reading that, I got past that bit and then I looked and there were still four chapters left. Yeah, yeah, I I think I said something similar to you the other day when I finished 7.7. I was like, but this is the middle of the arc, so it's not over, over. Um, mm. and, and that's something this chapter makes quite clear. Yeah, um, because Blake is lying on the ground, uh, clearly in... Mm, a bad shape <laughs> after last <laughs> chapter. Um, yeah, and, and things are kind of slowly putting themselves right again around Blake. Yeah, it's it's a real sort of moment of pause, I guess. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I'd compare it to, like, Blake sort of feels like he's reached to the top of the mountain and he gets to take a quick rest before, uh, you know, going back down the mountain. Although I guess in this analogy, going down the mountain is apparently harder than going up. So <laughs> maybe it's a valley. He's gotten to the bottom of the yeah. valley and he's taking a rest and now he's got to walk back up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I like the vibe of kind of the world sliding a bit back to normal. Obviously the weather is kind of quieting down now that Conquest isn't able to, to you know, make it crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was a war for the city and it's yeah. now sort of over and, and peace is returning to the city in every shape and form. Yeah. Um, so Evan starts to kind of put himself back together after being shot. Uh, he's kind of slides back into being his normal, adorable self. For now, at least. Uh, he seems to have plans to turn into Aaron the Blood Sparrow, the, <laughs> the terror of Toronto. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I love the, the conversation of Rose kind of, uh, I, I guess, enabling him in this regard <laughs> is the word. Um, Evan kind of gets more and more hyped up for it. And Evan is, this is a very cute Evan chapter. Yeah, he's on fire, this chapter. Um, I, I definitely read it as Rose being more like, uh, I don't know if she was trying to talk him out of it or if she was just kind of being like a, a bit of a fact nerd, just being like, well, if you did that. <laughs> um, but like e either way, she's sort of like, well, if you do that, then you get like blood sparrow properties and Evan's like, cool. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> like who knows what the fuck that even means. But I mean, I guess we're going to find out hopefully. Um, yeah, we'll see. Um, I mean, he... He does a lot of cool stuff this chapter as well as being yeah. funny, but I suppose yeah. we'll get into those later. Um, one thing I did want to bring up is I don't think we've explicitly talked about some of the mechanics Rose brings up here, which is that mm. others can sort of gain abilities or, get, you know, strengths or whatever, just sort of based on how they act and how they're perceived. Um, yeah. Like, you know, someone like Midge or Mary presumably started off relatively human and then thanks to becoming folklore and, and having you know, other issues have, yeah. you know, like Mary just can run around stabbing herself in the legs and apparently it barely, barely phases her, which is not normal human behavior. So she's sort <laughs> of moved beyond that. Um, and it's, like, I mean, like everything else in Pact, it's such a great system for giving like Wabo flexibility to create these sort of one-off boogeymen in a way that makes sense and uh, lets him subvert the other rules. Like it's such a flexible yeah. rule system in Pact because it's basically spirits making shit up. Yeah, and it, it kind of, it it gives me this vibe of having, like, self-perpetuating evolution of sorts where, you oh, know, yeah. they'll have some random whatever trait and uh, because of that they'll kind of be seen to be more like that and then they'll start acting more like that and it kind of doubles down and, and gets to the most extreme case. 
Um, yeah, I mean, there was a bit of a discussion in uh, the the Doof Discord, which you get access to if you're a patron, um, about nice. like Corviday just sort of being an enchanter in a way. Like, uh, I think it was Sarah Penguin who who brought up his power set isn't like on paper isn't actually that different to what the the Duchamps can supposedly do, and yeah. and so I yeah. think this all might be part of that. Like, uh, wait, some of what we talked about is that maybe he he's he's more powerful, more fundamental, but but maybe that is how he started. Like, maybe he was just an enchanter who was doing bad stuff um, yeah. and, and got a reputation. And, and then as he sort of became an other who was bound and stuff, it, it's, you as you said, it's a self-perpetuating cycle and he got more powerful and, and a bit more different to what yeah, we'd usually just say an enchanter is. Kind of specialised, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so Evan brings up the memories from last chapter. Um, and he... I mean, I think it's fair to say, handles this pretty well. He's pretty, for an, for the ghost of an eight-year-old, he does handle this with appropriate levels of maturity. Yes, um, I'll, I'll talk about that a bit more uh, in, in a sec, but I do just want to, like, this was one of those conversations where I went to pull a bit out and then realised I was just highlighting, like, you know, the whole segment. Um, yeah. I just, I just love the bit where, like, Evan does has a few moments where he, he realises he's really pushing Blake, so he kind of... Um, backs off a bit and changes the subject a bit to help sort of ease Blake into having this conversation a little. Mm. Um, and I love the bit where Blake sort of says they need to discuss the blood sparrow thing and Evan responds, so that means I can just do it or like I go and do it and then say sorry afterwards. <laughs> and like even Blake sort of has to be like, yeah, f- fair call. Like, you know, Rose and I don't have a good dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's learning a bit too much from them, I think. <laughs> Which um, is something like uh, I remember that was something Blake called out towards the start of this arc um, yeah. when he was dying, is he didn't want Evan to start turning into a schemer, and yeah. I like that. This would imply maybe Evan is, but in a way that's like trademark Evan, like he's just yeah. sort of being this open schemer. He's like, well, I could do this. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're right that there's a lot to pull out here, uh, but I want to pull out this one section uh, just because I think it's a very, a very mm. great bit of of Evan's. Uh, whole conversation here where Evan says we're stuck together if I don't say something then it becomes this thing we don't talk about like the time my mum and my dad separated for a while when I was really young and my mum had a boyfriend right away after my dad left and my parents got back together and nobody ever talks about the guy that was around back then like they think thought I didn't remember um man this is so good (laughs) Evan is so like (laughs) fuck he's like perfectly awkwardly navigating this conversation it's awesome yeah I mean like He's so mature, and like, I think he yeah. handles this exceptionally well. Like especially for an eight year old. I mean, obviously he he's he's been through some stuff, and and eight year olds can handle themselves quite well. But like you know, I I know a lot of people in their twenties who probably couldn't handle an emotional conversation oh, like yeah. this pretty well. Yeah, um, it, yeah. Like it, he, you're right. He absolutely kills it. Um, on, on every level, he's so wholesome. I love him. I love yeah. him to bits. Um, well, he's he's the best type of person for Blake to try and have this conversation with because he's so wholesome and kind of innocent. Like, he yeah. just, he comes at it from a very pure place. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so Blake, Maggie and Rose kind of finish binding conquest, putting it all back together. Um, they, they have to, uh, kind of use the, uh, use the cord for the book, I think, to, to kind of tie it up, but they can't touch it. So they've got to like use the, the hyena sword and, and Maggie's dagger to, to kind of tie it all together. It's a very fun little weird beat. This, this is probably just my own neuroses, but like, the most upsetting part of this to me was that they're just tearing pages out of the book. I don't like this. 
<laughs> Are they going to be able to put the pages back in the book? Like, th- I don't like this. Yeah, Blake needs to read that book so that he gets a free favour. <laughs> yeah, I hope they tore out pages from the first chapter. <laughs> um, there's there's also a line where Maggie says to Rose, Rose is worried about having more of her hair cut, and Maggie says, I should be able to use what's here. If I can't, you do have more on your head. And Rose says, I'd rather not. R- Maggie's response is, you could use hair from elsewhere, Maggie said, arching an eyebrow. At Athame raised, <laughs> which is a great beat. Um, and I, I think I would have loved another little bit of Evan not getting what the joke is, but it's still pretty good without it. I don't know. Considering Evan was just talking about piecing together what happened to Blake in the mm. second vision, I'm yeah, fine with him not thinking about. Uh, Let's uh, stay away from that hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then the the snow the snowstorm that's been raging has subsided enough that. Uh, the Bahames emerge from inside the house um, and they walk over and notice Laird's body uh, and Blake kind of realises he has to go over and and talk to them. I mean, the lead up to this is they sort of emerge and Blake's just watching them approach where he knows the body is before they've seen it is is pretty heartbreaking. Like, Oh, God. Yeah, it's pretty rough, isn't it? I mean, like, obviously the Bahames are not blake's friends but they're they're children right these are children and uh, there's no way that this situation you just kind of reading it you know there's no way this is going to resolve nicely (laughs) yeah exactly and especially because like blake knows they already hate him and like he he knows he didn't want to do this like and uh, yeah it's it's just a mess um i wanted to call out one line. So, as you said, Blake sort of faces the fact that he's going to have to go over there and talk to them. Um, but this actually comes from Rose, who yeah. sort of gets his attention and says, um, about what you said before, theatrics are important. Um, I, sorry, uh, I, I should mention, I should have mentioned before I started, uh, Rose, uh, Blake is unsure if he's going to be forsworn or not because he did promise to one of the teenagers that he yeah. wouldn't um, stab them in the uh or so he wouldn't hurt Laird too much yeah which obviously he's failed at yes so he's unsure if he's forsworn and uh so then rose says to him about what you said before theatrics are important i don't know for sure but if the spirits are on the fence and i'm not sabotaging you by saying this well it seems like they would be more inclined to take your side if you acted like you were right Mm. and the first time i read through this i interpreted like the word right there as meaning like you know if you're doing the right thing like going over there is the right thing to do and yeah. then apologizing what and then on my second read through i realized no i think she's telling she him means. to go over there <laughs> yeah and and, and uh, be like you've got to pretend that what you did was correct which yeah. is something blake feels and it sort of recontextualized his approach for me a bit on the second read through but yeah i mean rose it's one of those situations i think rose kind of has a point here but like damn rose yeah she's right but it still is very <laughs> slimy right it's pretty cold yeah. yeah um but he kind of does he he kind of has to defend himself here um i don't know like the Bahams are taking it hard there's this line where uh the one that he passed by that that he kind of talked into going inside to help duncan is talking to him um and he says my uncle is dead it doesn't look like it was clean he said I could have called you Forsworn. The spirits will get around to if it's deserved, but I could call you on it right here. Decide how it plays out. And I like that they kind of know that calling him Forsworn is pretty low chance of success, or at least is pretty, you know, uncertain. Um, but they still kind of want to do it, even if they know it will come back to bite them just to fuck him up. Like, I don't know. 
Yeah, that's sort of my read on it. Like, I, I hadn't really ever processed the fact that, like, calling someone out for being forsworn would obviously be super bad for you if that is not correct, because you're essentially making yourself forsworn if it's yeah. wrong. Yeah. Uh, so, it, it, basically, I, I feel like what the Baham kid is saying here is that he's, like, not 100% sure, but he's just is so fucking mad right now, he's almost tempted to just have a crack anyway, uh, and he's yeah. really having to, like, hold himself back, which is, I mean, you know, I, I get it. Yeah, it's rough. Um, Led's son, this very young... I, I, I get the impression he's something like maybe 12, this kid. Um, yeah, yeah, that's sort of the impression I'm under. Uh, he stays back a bit just to look at Blake and remember his face for later. Um, <sighs> I mean, yeah, as we sort of already touched on and as Blake sort of says, their anger makes sense. I think it is kind of unfair because Blake wasn't... Uh, you know, he didn't really do it on purpose, and he wasn't. Yeah. Led Led helped put him in this situation, and blah blah blah. But yeah. Um. Also, their anger is completely like it, it. It makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um. Now, here's an interesting bit. So this boy says to Blake, "The fairy told me my the fairy told my father that one of his sons had only one year of life remaining." The boy said, and he was told he had thirty more years. Things can always be fudged. Uh. And then Blake asks, kind of, how are things fudged?" And the kid says. Use of real-time magic just to be safe. The family held a meeting. They photo- They voted and signed off on it. My father wrote terms into his will and sealed them with the appropriate magics. He and my mum are giving us their remaining years if they die. Half to me, half to my brother. Or my dad's going to try to. Which is wild. They they can do that? <laughs> like, that's a thing that they can do? I mean, I yeah, I'd totally forgotten about this whole Led's family life expectancy thing, so I jumped yeah. back to 2.2 to... Um, read when Padrick talked about this in the yeah. meeting. I mean, he didn't bring it up this chapter, even though he's totally... Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but uh, interestingly, in that chapter, uh, Padrick mentions that Led has two daughters and one son. So I don't know what's going on there, but um, it's an interesting twist on this whole idea of people having a certain number of years left, but obviously chronomancers, I guess, have the ability to donate those yeah, uh, like to, to other people. Exchange them around, which is wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they need to, they need to use the hyena to finish this binding. Uh, so Rose kind of dismisses it and it kind of resets back to its sword form, but broken now. Um, and then Blake uses it to do what we were talking about before, kind of tie up the ribbon on the book. So it's now not just a goblin sword, it's like a broken goblin sword. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, obviously like the symbolism there kind of speaks for itself. I Mm. I guess I I was a bit confused at first because I was like, but it's dead. How is it transforming? Um, I guess maybe death isn't quite as black and white for others or like, uh, I don't know, maybe the spirits have more to do with this than, than like the hyena. Uh, I don't know, but it's, um, yeah, you're right. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's cool. They've, they've gained a, a, a key item here. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, some so, good loot. Yeah. Uh, so, so Blake is using the sword to kind of tie the ribbon and he has to do it multiple times, but as he's doing this, he kind of realizes he's just able to zone out and do it. And this kind of repetitive activity helps him just kind of turn off his brain and, and reset a bit, which is, which is nice. It's a nice little realistic beat of him kind of being able to take some downtime in this menial task. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's like just a cathartic activity, like because yeah. it's kind of mindless. I mean, he ma- he references like therapeutic Tetris, which yeah, um, totally makes sense to me, like as a, as a comparison. Yeah, totally. Um, so conquest is properly bound, and the cabal head back to Blake's apartment to just kind of relax and wait and see what happens. 
Yeah, I mean, we've only sort of briefly touched on this, but peppered throughout this whole chapter are references to the hard part being what's coming up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it adds this daunting sense. Like, it, as we sort of said, there's not a sense in this chapter that they're like, yep, yeah, we did it. Uh, you know, we've won. It. They're, they're constantly sort of reminding us that this is phase one. Yeah, yeah, totally. we're entering phase two. Yeah, but the thing I like about it is we don't really know what's going to happen right like we had it's pretty clear that there was going to be a showdown between blake and conquest and now that's kind of been resolved but clearly there's all this kind of tension hanging over us like what the fuck's actually going to happen next it's very it's a very interesting vibe yeah i'm, I'm assuming blake has some I- ideas or like things he w- he's going to push for but with so many players and stuff yeah like i don't know uh, w- we can't really know exactly how this is all gonna is all gonna go down yeah um, I want to pull out a funny line that I really liked where they, they're all in the apartment and Blake looks around and thinks, practically everyone I trusted was here, which made it very concerning when I heard a knock at the door. Only the people I didn't trust were left. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's such a fucking funny line. <laughs> yeah, well, it's such an efficient way to just immediately set stakes from a door yeah. knock. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like it takes something kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of small and you instantly like, <laughs> ooh. This could be bad. Yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily bad, but it is <laughs> I have weird. no idea um, whether it is or not. <laughs> so uh, Blake goes to the door and it's Paige and Isadora. And they seem to be coming together. And it's a really weird reveal, right? Like, <laughs> obviously there have been a lot of cool, good cliffhangers that, that kind of set up tension over the course of this story. But this one is the most, like, confusing. Like, what the fuck's going on? Why are Paige and Isadora together here? <laughs> Such a fun way to, like, set up the next chapter. Yeah, my reaction was like, oh, yay, Paige. And then, like, two lines down, it's like, and Isadora. And I was like, wait, what? Um, You're right. It's, it's a very <laughs> different type of cliffhanger. It, it's, uh... Yeah, it's just like, it, it's not like tense and somebody's going to die. You're just sort of left there being like, well, I guess this recontextualizes some stuff. Like, uh, if Isadora, like, because we've, we've heard Isadora takes students under her wing. Yeah. So, does that mean Paige is one of those students? Like, maybe this has been going on for a while. Like, that could be why she was last on the list if, if Granny Rose knew about this. Because uh, obviously Isadora probably wasn't going to let uh, Paige do much of anything uh, with the Thorburn materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, maybe they've got some sort of... Oh, there's so many questions and, and possibilities here. Like, <laughs> uh, Yeah. Because yeah. uh, like, like, I don't think Isadora would have been like, oh, Thorburn sounds like a great potential student. <laughs> sure. Yeah, who knows what the hell is going on. Um, and I guess we won't get to find out this chapter. We'll have to wait for next <laughs> chapter to find out. Now, this is a pretty short chapter all in all, Elliot. It definitely has that feeling of like... The things have just gotten hectic. We take a bit of a short chapter to quiet it down a bit, and then things are going to get wild again. Yeah, it's 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 the you know the the rest between waves. Mm. Do you remember when we used to have episodes that were this long? Man, those are the good old days. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, though, uh, we wanted to dive into some comments that people that people had left when this first uh, when this chapter first came out on this day five years ago. Um, do you wanna do you wanna pull out your comment first? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so I've got one by Unmaker, who brings up the idea that maybe Laird was being reckless a little bit on purpose, because like the sooner he dies, the more years he has to donate to his kids, which mm. is like kind of dark, but <laughs> pretty um, dark. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, like again, I can I could see it, or I can see the logic behind it. Like it's one of those situations where 
he, from his perspective, dying isn't as terrible as it could be. And also, he supposedly has pretty good karma, so we can assume he's going to, like, a good place. Well, I don't know. Hopefully. I mean, m- maybe. Yeah, for his yeah. sake, I hope. Yeah. Uh, Delphus, uh, actually, another user, also commented after that that, like, when Laird said, this is for the best, like, if this theory holds, then the, the line, this is for the best, when he grabbed Blake, may have been him sort of acknowledging that he's about to die, mm. uh, rather than sort of telling Blake that what he's about to go through is... Um, you know, for the good of everyone. <laughs> I mean, I that's really a nicer interpretation. <laughs> Slightly, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and Nega Darkwing also finally pointed out that uh, Laird also died in a way that put the Thorburns and the Bahames more against each other than they've even been recently. Yeah. Uh, which seems like something Laird would be okay with as well. It it really seems like there's almost no way that the Bahames are going to be on the Thorburn side ever, right? <laughs> no i can't imagine i can't yeah. imagine there's going to be any time soon uh unless some some real shit hits the fan which again wait this is based on pact so far could very well yeah, happen true true wait two arcs two arcs from now blake could be best friends with one of the behames <laughs> yeah um anyway so yeah uh, there was a lot of interesting comments kind of branching off of this initial theory by Unmaker. i i don't know i don't know i don't know i guess we've got a few in- more interludes in the story so this is the kind of reveal that i would see happening in an interlude <laughs> but I d- it doesn't it doesn't feel like the kind of thing Laird would do. Yeah, maybe not. But there's some interesting ideas in there, I thought, anyway. I, I agree. I, I probably don't think that may have been for in, in the forefront of Laird's mm-hmm. mind. But, uh, you know, they they might have been sitting in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, true. Uh, so the comment I pulled out was by a user called uh, Boganulb. Um, and this comment is basically talking about we've got the broken hyena sword now. Uh, and Boganob was like, oh, this is a new item. Let's see if it would make a good implement. Um, and kind of talks about the declarative, authoritative, and sociocultural, you know, impl- implications of this. Um, and I'm going to touch on what Boganob says, but I think the overarching theme, what this really made me realize for this implement is it would be so on point for Blake in so many ways, but ways that would kind of be doubling down on the things that he doesn't want to become. <laughs> um yeah yeah there's some there's a lot of really interesting thoughts in here but they're much more recent blake rather than blake yes we would have liked to imagine blake would become in arc four yeah i i would kind of categorize it as if blake picks this implement it uh, this as his implement it will kind of be like he's choosing to double down on the worst aspects of himself <laughs> um anyway um, so yeah I, I want to point out the the things that Bo- Boganob says about this. Uh, so they talk about, for the declarative, they talk about, you know, a sword is obviously violence. Uh, but uh, Boganob points out a broken sword is is a sword that has been used to the point of, you know, being used up, right? So, so Blake is using tools rather than just hoarding power, um, which is a, I think, bad thing to suggest, given that the whole conflict around Blake is people worried that he's going to use the tools available to him, right? Yeah, well, it's, you're right. It's sort of implying that he will use things until they're broken, which isn't really sending a great message. Yeah, especially because the things that he's going to be using are demons, <laughs> right? Like, if I was going to, if if I was going to be Blake, I wouldn't pick an implement that's basically saying to people, "Hey, that thing that you're worried that I'm going to do." My implement also seems to suggest that I'm going to do it. Um, I mean, unless you really framed it in a way where it's like, uh, it, this was a demonic type of other, and I yeah. killed it. Uh, but yeah, and- I mean, that, I don't, I don't know exactly how you make make that case, uh, sort of passively. Yeah, well, I, I can kind of see that vibe from it, right? Because the hyena obviously was a bad thing, and it has been killed, right? Blake, uh, I don't know. 
I think Blake used it up in bad ways until it died, which is not a great read, but I can see a kind of like breaking the wheel, breaking the chain kind of motif there if you can spin it in the right in the right way. I guess it's the difference between it just being a broken sword and it being a broken demonic other uh, that, that sort of separates those two yeah, concepts. Yeah, true. Um, so uh, the authoritative uh, Burgenob talked about the sword you know hurting you if you use it and and not being a kind of clean weapon it's obviously quite jagged um and and so it kind of lends itself to literally the imagery of a a double-edged sword right um (laughs) brutally violent kind of quick uh quick uh vengeance and and will will hurt both people um which again is pretty on point for the kind of diabolism things that blake really doesn't want to be using (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's definitely reflective of probably what he's been doing this arc so far, but is that really where he wants to go? Yeah. Um I like I, I almost think the only the only good spin on that sort of authoritative take is hopefully just getting people to not bother with you. <laughs> like, well just basically I trying guess. to bluff them out. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but the way that you do that is by making them think, oh, this the damage from this is actually going to be so bad I shouldn't bother, which I think, I mean, maybe now that Laird's gone, that will be an easier sell because Laird obviously was a bit pretty big proponent of taking down Blake, but I don't know. Um, yeah. So finally, Boganolb talks about, for sociocultural, kind of talks about this read of the broken sword being a an ugly implement, but one that's functional, which kind of indicates uh, practicality over form, which is, again, pretty fitting for Blake. Um, but I wanted to make, I think, a bit more of a gross point which which is really what sold me on this whole idea um of the broken sword being a terrible like thing for blake to take because it's cementing the worst things about himself um because uh, kind of over and over with implements and sociocultural aspects of implements we've got the idea of a sword or a staff being like a a phallic symbol right Mm. um and so a broken sword i think is a pre-on-the-nose representation of blake's kind of struggles with his with sexuality with his own sexuality Uh, and putting all of this together it just gives me this image of blake choosing the broken sword as this idea of blake kind of defining himself by his worst aspects you know by the things that are that that are his lowest points and i think i i think it would be uh poetic and tragic for him to do that but i think it would also kind of cement in a lot of the things for himself that I really don't want him to cement. Yeah. I mean, just touching on the original idea of it just being function over form. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been I've been listening to the latest chapters of the Pact audiobook and um, just covering like 4.4 back when uh, Blake went to fight Pose for the mm. first time. And mm. he hates himself a bit for having to choose form over looks. Like he, he hates on these cargo pants that oh, are out yeah. of fashion. Like yeah. he in ideal situations is someone who would rather look like he has his shit together than, than pick, you know, overly functional things that are ugly. Mm. So yeah, just as with sort of everything we've touched on in, in these comments, it's Blake. It fits Blake where he has been for most of arcs, uh, for yeah. most of arc seven, which is not where he wants to be. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I'm kind of nervous about the idea of, of this comment. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Anyway, that's that's uh, the comment that I pulled out here. Um, look, hopefully that doesn't come to pass, but we'll see. <laughs> um, that's the end of our episode for today, though. Uh, thanks for joining us for 7.8. 8. 
our next uh, episode talking about 7.9 will be coming out on Monday the 24th of June. Uh, yes. Uh, but if you can't wait till then, uh, we also have a discussion thread on Reddit, which is in the show notes below, which is a great way to talk about 7.8. Yeah, I'd definitely be interested to hear other people's reads on the, uh, on the implement, uh, reading that, that Bokenob kind of kicked off in the comments. Um, yeah. If you, another way to get in contact with us would be to check out our Twitter, which is at MediaMDPodcast. Um, if you're paying close attention to that Twitter, we might start doing some, some live reads of these chapters when you start reading them, Elliot. Is that right? Uh, yes. Soon, soonish. Uh, soon I can't do it right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but you know, subscribe now so you make sure you don't miss it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, wait, do you subscribe on Twitter? Follow? Follow uh, is the, I'm still the official nomenclature here. <laughs> um... Yeah, uh, but, you know, if you want to hear more uh, stuff that isn't packed, uh, you can head over to doofmedia.com where there's, like, a bunch of cool shows that aren't necessarily about packed. Yeah. Uh, so one that's coming out the same day as this episode is another Doofcast episode on The Expanse, which mm. uh, listeners of our the show Media MD will know I am a huge fan of, so I'm very excited to to listen to that as soon as possible. i got to get back into The Expanse because I really enjoyed the first season and then I watched, like, I think the next season or most of it and then I just kind of stopped watching <laughs> but i should keep watching it because it's awesome um oh and it gets better and better but well anyway yeah moving uh, on that's true <laughs> Before I just anyway about uh, this for so 20 minutes <laughs> yeah well, if you want to you should have been on that show elliot if you want to talk about the expanse more um so uh to to support all of the great shows on the doof media network deep impact the doof cast uh the book club we've got ward all all the great shows vout of you which is going through some really good times at the moment i really love vout of you um then head over to the doof patreon at patreon.com slash doof media and uh back back us uh there are a bunch of different perks uh but the only perk you really need is that warm feeling of supporting a network of great content. And as always, Wildbow is a patron-supported author as well. Uh, so patreon.com slash Wildbow to show him some love as well. Yeah. Um, and apart from that, I guess we'll see you all on Monday the 24th for 7.9. See ya. See ya.